everybody. It's Greg Gutfeld. This is the one. Today's guest is the founder of the Crime Prevention Research Center. He's an economist and a world-recognized expert on guns and crimes. He who wrote the book More Guns, Less Crime and the War on Guns. And he's currently a columnist for FoxNews.com. His name is John R. Lott Jr. John, I usually contact you after a mass sh- shooting and when the when there's statistics coming out and I'm not sure what to believe. I usually call or I, I usually email you. And I emailed you after these these recent horrible mass shootings um, because there was so much there was so much stuff coming out. And I, I, my first question to you is, why is it after a mass shooting we get a lot of debate, we get a lot of passion, and then all of a sudden it seems like it just goes away? Why does it go away? Like, why is it something? It's it's almost like it's treated like a um, like a tornado or, or, or like a like a natural disaster that people focus on, but then they just kind of move on when when maybe there are things that we should be talking about, or, or whether it's you know mental health or whether it's uh, loopholes or whatever. Why do you think it comes and it goes like that? Because you've been studying this for years, right? Well, first of all, uh, it's great to talk to yeah. you again. Um, look. I, I mean, I kind of wish the discussion would continue past kind of the initial heat of the moment. Me too, yeah. Just so we could have kind of a more reasonable discussion on this. Um, I think part of it is just uh, the news emphasis. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have uh, these attacks for like the next 24 hours or something, depending upon how many people are killed in the attacks or whatever, pretty much the only thing that's on the news is going to be uh, the mass public shooting. Mm -hmm. And so I think, in part, the intensity of the news may drive some of that intensity that you see people talking about it all the time. Mm -hmm. And and kind of the bigger the attack or if... I think the other things that kind of affect how long it is is like after Parkland, compare... The Parkland shooting mm-hmm. to the one in Santa Fe just a couple months later in Texas. Right. Uh, you had um, much more coverage of the Parkland shooting mm-hmm. by a huge factor than you had in Santa Fe. You know, CNN had a town hall right. uh, after the Parkland shooting. And I used to be able to text back and forth with Jake Tapper, who ran <laughs> the, uh, uh, the, the town hall there. And I was asking, you know, couldn't they find, like, one person who would go and ask a question, you know, kind of from the other side of the spectrum, political spectrum, than they had there in Parkland? He said, well, you have to understand, uh, Parkland's in Broward County, and that's very left-wing. And so after the uh, Santa Fe shooting, I reached out to him, and I said, well, are you going to have another town hall after uh, the Santa Fe shooting? Because mm-hmm. uh, it would at least allow you then to maybe get questions from the other side of uh, of the political spectrum. And he never got back to me again after that. It's kind of our texting days ended <laughs> well, at you, that point. You know what that, but, you know what that um, touches on, I think, the problem with not just uh, the gun issue but just about every issue is yeah. that we – they kind of become – They become the – I've used this phrase, the prison of two ideas. So there's one side and there's another. So anybody who actually – like if you want to have a – if you want to reach out to Jake or I want to reach out to you, any kind of compromise, even if it's a symbolic compromise, uh, uh, you know, it it seems the other side will get mad at you. 
So what that does is that, like, let's say you are reaching out to somebody at CNN or I'm reaching out to somebody on wherever and the quote other the quote side that you're on doesn't like that. They will shut it down. They want you to remain. So I think, you know, when you're when you find yourself no longer being like no one's paying attention to you, it's because they are, I guess, realizing that they might alienate their their team sport, their their team, because politics is now like a team sport. You know, does that make any sense? No, I I think it does. Look, for 20 years, I've been telling gun control advocates a couple what I think are very reasonable fixes that could be made in the universal background check bills that would get them passed instantly. Um, what are they? Just because I have that in mind. I want to because I, I, you know, you know this stuff better than anybody. I know that you get accused of being, you know, on one side. And I'd like you to address that, too, because, uh, you know, because you, you know, you do a book called More Guns, Less Crime. People are going to assume you're in the NRA's pocket, you know. But I want to ask you, what, what changes or fixes if you could wave a magic wand or get politicians to do something? Okay. Well, uh, the first one is we frequently hear claims that there are three and a half million dangerous, prohibited people that have been stopped from buying guns because of background checks. Mm -hmm. That's simply not correct. What they should say is there have been three and a half million initial denials, and virtually all of those, something around 99% of those are mistakes. Okay. It's It's one thing to stop a felon from buying a gun. It's another thing to stop somebody simply because they have a similar name to a felon from buying a gun. Gotcha. And, and it's primarily minorities mm-hmm. that are harmed. People tend to have names similar to others in their racial groups. Hispanics have names similar to other Hispanics. Blacks tend to have names similar to other blacks. I had no idea and, that this was an issue. I didn't know this. Okay, go ahead. Right. Yeah. And, and 30% of black males are legally prohibited from owning a gun because of past criminal history. Mm-hmm. Whose names are those people's names most likely to be confused with? Mm-hmm. Other law-abiding good black males okay. who maybe want to buy a gun to protect themselves and their families. Look, the reason why you have this problem is that the government, when it does these background checks, it uses things like roughly phonetically similar names and similar birthdays. If you were to go to, let's say, a Democrat and say, you know, I think employers, when they do criminal background checks, should use roughly phonetically similar names, they would scream bloody murder Mm -hmm. because they would say that that would result in a lot of good blacks being banned from being able to get jobs simply because they have names that might be similar to somebody else. If employers had an error rate in doing background checks on employees that was one hundredth mm-hmm. the error rate that the federal government has they would be under federal law they'd be sued out of existence so what do you think i mean when you when you you know i go back because you said you have some suggestions like what would be your way well, to change is, yeah go ahead just is simple the federal government just has to do background checks in the same way that the federal government mandates that private companies do it mm. that's that's pretty straightforward <laughs> Right. And and I've been making that comment for 20 years Mm -hmm. to people. The other thing is um, the cost. So you're in New York City. Yeah. If you want to privately transfer a gun to somebody else in New York City, Mm -hmm. you know, give them a gift or whatever, it costs you at least $125 to do that. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not going to stop maybe you or I from buying a gun. But the very people that my research shows who benefits the most from having guns Poor blacks who live in high-crime urban areas 
$125 plus the licensing fees and the registration and everything else may make the difference between whether they're able to legally obtain a gun or not. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, if you believe background checks reduce crime, and I, I don't, but if you believe that, you believe it reduces crime for everybody, not just the law-abiding person who's going out of their way to have the background check on a private transfer of a gun. Mm-hmm. And in fact, if anything, why would you want them to pay the full freight of that? Because, you know, you want to encourage them to do the background checks. You don't want to have this big tax, essentially, on them for doing what you want them to do mm-hmm. on that. But, but just generally, as an economist, I would say that if you really believe that background checks reduce crime for everybody, then the people who benefit from that should be the ones who pay for it. And so if everybody benefits, pay for it out of general revenue. Mm. What do you – I know that – I kind of know where you – what you – is there – because I know I've asked you this question on email every time after a mass shooting. Do you, what do you think could have prevented either one, El Paso or Dayton? Do you – like I know that you're pretty pessimistic about the ability to prevent these things, right? I mean I know no, that – I'm not. Okay. I'm not generally. I mean, what I would just say, first of all, is just a general comment, Mm -hmm. and that is uh, the types. I'm pessimistic about the solutions that keep on being put forward by gun control advocates in the sense that what's the number one thing that Obama pushed? Usually the only law that he would push after mass public shooting, and you continue. When Jake Tapper interviewed the nine Democrats after these last two shootings, the number one thing they all brought up was background checks on private transfers of guns, mm-hmm. so-called universal background checks. I want somebody to name one mass public shooting this century mm-hmm. that would have been stopped if such a law had been in effect, because there's not such a case. Mm-hmm. And I wish the reporters once in a while would go and ask them about it. It's just not serious. I know why they push this stuff. They push it because, well, I've come to believe that the reason why they push it is they just want to make it costly for people to have guns. I'll give you one example. I can give you 20 of these. But a few years ago when Colorado was passing its universal background check, I got a call from a few state legislators asking me what amendment I would suggest that they put up. And my suggestion was an amendment that would exempt – they had a new state tax on each transfer of guns that's Mm -hmm. there. My suggestion was to have an amendment that would exempt people below the poverty level from having to pay the new state tax on transferring guns. With the exception of two pro-gun Democrats in the state house, every other Democrat there voted against exempting people below the poverty level from having to pay the new state tax. Mm-hmm. How many taxes can you think of that Democrats will fight tooth and nail against exempting people below the poverty level from having to pay? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to steer this back to, like, okay, you hear, uh, loop, you hear the phrase loopholes. Okay, you hear right. background. So background checks, you're pretty, you're 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 kind of uh, bearish on the background checks in terms of prevention, of. Uh, but and then you hear about closing loopholes and uh, and and also looking at the age limit uh, age. Uh, I guess uh, you know, whatever. The average age for mass public shooters is about thirty-five. Okay, I, why does it seem like it's always in the? They're like all twenty-year-olds lately. Is that well, because the media makes a lot bigger deal about them when they're young? Just like the media makes a lot bigger deal when they use an assault weapon mm-hmm. to go and do the attack. 
you know, you would, most people wouldn't know that uh, 58% of the mass public shootings in the last two decades have involved only handguns. Yeah. Over 80% of the attacks have involved either only or handguns used with some other weapon. Only 13% of the mass public shootings have involved only rifles of any type. And yet people seem to think that, you know, assault rifles are the one thing that's being used all the time in these attacks. This leads me to two, uh, two points. I want to – one of the, the reasons why I initially contacted you a couple of weeks ago is about the statistics, and I, call, I emailed you because of the classifications of mass shootings. There is, a, there is a statistic that is almost like it's like somewhere around 250 or 300 this year, and right. I, I, I know it's not true. What, what is the – Appropriate classification of uh, uh, when you're documenting this, I, you, you you rely on F, on the on the way the FBI does it, I guess. Right. Look, there's there are two different definitions here. Mm-hmm. One is mass shootings, and the other is mass public shootings. So mass shootings involve any any case where people are shot, and even there, there's two different types of definitions. There's the FBI definition, which used to be four or more people killed. The Obama administration lowered it to three or more killed. Mm. And then there's the one that gets you the high numbers, the 300 cases, where it's basically four or more people shot. You know, you could have four people wounded right. would be included. And, um, and then you have this definition of something called mass public shootings, right. which is traditionally has been four or more people killed in a public place, not involving some other crime. And that's that's important because the number with the mass shootings, overwhelmingly, the vast majority of those are gang fights mm-hmm. over things like drug turf. Now, are gang fights over drug turf important? Yeah. And they're things that we can talk about doing in order to try to reduce them. But, but the mass public shooting variable tries to get at the, the things like a school shooting mm-hmm. or the things like the two shootings that you were just talking about. The things that galvanize the news. The news, the news media thinks the two things are different. When you have, you know, you talk about the shootings in Chicago or something where it's overwhelmingly involving gangs fighting against each other, that doesn't get national news every time that that happens. The news media views them as different. When you have somebody going into a place where he's not fighting over drug turf or something, he's fighting, he's just, his whole goal is simply to kill as many people as possible so you can get more news coverage. Right. And do you feel that the contain- uh, do you feel that the I mean the very one of the strong um, I believe that one of the big variables is the media coverage creating yeah. a contagion so that like I know this is going to be a really stupid thing to say but I'm going to say it it's like the odds of you if you live to be 70 the odds are you'll live to be 80. And, uh, that's a, it's an it's an obvious thing. But if but right. it seems to me that when if you stop one mass shooting, you're more likely to stop another because they are. Yeah. And so the thing is, how do you go ahead? Sorry. I can give you dozens of cases. Just like yesterday, I got a news story where a guy stopped a mass public shooting uh, with a concealed handgun. Right. Uh, and but it gets like no national coverage. Yeah. Uh, I can give you dozens of cases. If it were me, if I was the dictator around there, I would go and give those cases lots of coverage. Right. I would do two things. You ask, you ask what to do to stop it. I'd get rid of gun-free zones. Mm-hmm. 95% or so of these mass public shootings since 1950 have occurred in places where guns aren't allowed. Yeah. These killers 
are not stupid, okay? Mm -hmm. They want to kill as many people as possible. People should see the amount of planning that these people go into. You yeah. read, I'm forced to read these diaries for these guys. And yeah. once you kind of get past the part where they're complaining that girls won't date them or something like that, yeah. uh, you get into the fact that these guys go through immense details on these things. So you mentioned the news coverage. Look at the Sandy Hook killer. Mm -hmm. uh, he spent two and a half years planning his attack. Mm -hmm. According to police, he had done what amounted to a doctoral dissertation where he had studied mass public shootings over the previous 40 years. Crazy. And one of the things that he had done was he graphed out the relationship between the number of people killed in the attack and the amount of media coverage that they got. I had no idea. I did not know this, and I thought I was pretty well-versed. Go, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm, I did not know that part. Yeah. Proving to himself that he, if he killed more people, he could get more international news coverage. And according to one report from the police, his goal was to kill more people than the Norway killer had mm -hmm. killed, who shot to death, 67, ignoring the bombing deaths, right. shot to death 67 people and wounded 110 others because he wanted to get even more news attention. Now, why did he pick the elementary school? I don't have any proof for this, but my own gut belief is that the reason he picked the elementary school as opposed to some other target was that he thought it would help him get even more news attention to go and attack vulnerable targets like children. What a demon. And, and, but you see these people going through these discussions in their write-ups or in talking to other people about if I can only kill more people than such and such right. did, mm -hmm. I can get even more news coverage the contagion. than they did. It's a, it's, it's, uh, it's, but, it's driven by I, – it, I mean, they collect media clippings. It's, I mean, I, I read about this stuff. Um, I want to ask you about another – you know what? Do, what is your sense – maybe I already asked you this in email a long time ago – about the Vegas shooter. Did he have that same backup? Was he was he tabulating uh, uh, research? The um, the I, guy, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, right. You got very little information on this guy. Right. The police, you know, as far as motives or documents that he's had, there's almost nothing that uh, has been made publicly available. Exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, but what I will say, uh, there's a lot of discussion about you know the political motives on this. The vast majority of these shooters, over 70 percent, you cannot find any mention of any political beliefs True, yeah. that they have. Yeah. And, um, uh, and or religious beliefs yeah. on their part. That what you find when you read diaries and other things, these people have decided that they want to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. uh, even the El Paso guy, you read his thing. He, he believed he was going to die. He believed that the police didn't shoot him, he was going to kill himself. And I think probably what you have happen sometimes at the last moment, these guys just can't bring themselves to kill themselves. Right. You know, um, it, it, one expert said that the mass shooting thing is basically a new kind of suicide. Right. Yeah. It's, right. I've been arguing this for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And they, it, what you have is somebody now, they, somebody had a revelation at some point in the past that because people have wanted to commit suicide forever. But right. they had this revelation that they could uh, commit suicide in a way that people would know that they were here. Yes. I mean, you even run across diary discussions where they say, you know, uh, people in the news media are talking about not mentioning the names of the shooter anymore. But I'll be happy knowing that my name will still be in history books. Right, right. Yeah. And 
<laughs> and, um, uh, you know, they're people that feel underappreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is just this way. They're just, worthless. You, they feel worthless. I want to – can I, can I posit to you sure. an absurd idea? I want to – this is something I've been thinking about, and you tell me if I'm crazy, but I'm going to tell you – okay. I'm going to – this is an, an I'm going to start with an an analogy, okay? Um, when people talk about when t- when people talk about assault weapons, generally the gun rights activists will say these are no different than hunting rifles. Uh, basically, you're talking about cosmetic differences, right? right. Okay. Right. So I w- it made me think about that, and I was thinking about like a really basic car, like the VW Jetta. It's a small right. bo- it's a small boring car. It's inexpensive. It's useful. It doesn't attract careless, dangerous motorists. However, there's a subset of drivers, young men, right? And they like to right. zoop up the, the Jetta. So they have put like the, all this cosmetic stuff. They got, they've got uh, spoilers, spoilers and fins yeah. and stripes and novelty uh, license plates. Those people you can guess don't have insurance. Speed will be an accident. So I realized that the cosmetic, there's a cosmetic link. And I, and I thought to myself, well, if we... It, if, if if there's a guy that poses in front of a mirror with a gun because it because of the cosmetic appeal, if right. you banned the cosmetic appeal, you would not change the power of the gun, but you might reduce the sex appeal to the mentally deranged or the lonely loser who likes to stand in front of him. It's like it's like you're not. If we can agree, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, if we That's can agree, point. yeah, if we can agree that it, that it's not going to change the gun, we know it's some, it's it's cosmetic. Then why can't we say, you know what, we don't need the cosmetic? I know this is impossible, and it might even sound totally absurd. But what, does that? What do you think of that idea? <laughs> well, I, I don't think it's an absurd idea at all. It's at least something to talk about. I, I guess when I've gone through this, as I mentioned, you only have about 13% of these mass public shooters use any type of rifle, let alone one that would be defined as an assault rifle. And the goal for these guys, overwhelmingly, they don't talk about the gun per se, Mm -hmm. except in terms of what guns they might use, what might be more effective in their goal. And their goal is to kill as many people as possible. So they can get more attention. And so, to me, the thing to do is, what can you do to limit the number of people they kill? And if you, and if you can convince them beforehand that they may not kill many people, they may not even try the attack. Right. Or if they do try the attack, you can stop them. And that's the reason why I'm so concerned about these gun-free zones. If you I were a killer and you had, like, two schools, one that had a sign that says this is a gun-free zone, okay, or another, uh, or and maybe even just one guard there that's armed, or another school that says, you know, selected teachers and staff here have concealed handguns and will use them to go and protect the students and, and others here at the school. Which school would you attack? Mm-hmm. If you had, you know, the thing is, having one guard or even two guards, but having one guard at a school uh that's a heroic job, in a sense. And one, it's yeah. incredibly boring, okay? Mm-hmm. Two, if you're actually going to have an attack, it's an amazingly difficult thing for somebody who's identified as a guard to stop. Yeah. Because these killers have a huge strategic advantage. They can either wait for the guard to leave and then do the attack, or they can pick another target, or 
if they do attack, the first person killed will be the guard mm-hmm. because they know, or the officer, because they know once they kill that person, they'll have free reign for going and attacking others until some police are able to arrive on the scene there. And so, you know... Uh, you know what it reminds me of? It's kind of the idea, uh-huh. it's like you hear... Uh, You'll be in Midtown, and somebody will say, "Oh yeah, I go to this bar. You don't you don't screw around in this bar. It's a cop bar because there are a lot of cops." Right. There. The idea is that sure. I think what you're talking about, and I I think there are, there are ways to do this, and I think gun free uh, the idea of gun free zones. You're right. It's to create an idea of psychological friction that you're slowing down the process so that they they think about it and they think it's not worth it, but. What do you think about red flags? I, I'm running out of time here, and I want to hit everything I can. But do you think sure. red fl- I mean, like, to be able to, like, here's some friction. Your loved one, your mother, can go and say, I'm worried about Billy. He's got, he's, he's collecting a lot of guns. He's writing right. weird stuff in his diary. Uh, he's, sure. he's making, and he's making, he's making threats. She, he, you know, she can go to the, an officer, and they can go to a court, and they can, they can tag the guy. And I think right. I emailed you to this, and you said it's already happening and it doesn't really work. Yeah, we already have, look, we already have in all the states things called Baker Act, okay. or 302s, yeah. okay? which means that if you think somebody, for mental reasons, is a danger to themselves or others, police can quickly detain the person, and you can have instantly, pretty much, a 72-hour psychiatric hold on the person where you have experts interview them. And depending upon the state, you may have one or two or even three experts have to interview the person. Then you have a hearing and the judge listens to the experts that are there and makes a decision. What the red flag laws do is they take the experts out of the decision. There's no experts involved in any of these red flag law decisions that are made there. Mm -hmm. No psychiatric experts that are there. I didn't know. Um, And, uh, uh, you also take out the hearings to begin with. When a judge makes a decision for whether or not to take away somebody's guns in a red flag law, all he has in front of him is uh, a written statement by some complainant, and that can vary across states. You know, state like Colorado, anybody can make the complaint. Uh, there are a couple of states which limit it to police uh, making complaints. But uh, And then within a period of two to three to four weeks, depending upon the state, you'll have a hearing. Now, the Baker Acts, one of the things that they do is that if you're kind of the accused, for lack of a better word here, um, you and you can't afford an attorney, an attorney is given to you. Right. You have a public defender. Uh, under red flag laws, none of the states have any type of legal help that's okay. given to the people. And it looks like, at least based on the two states that have had it the longest, you're talking about maybe 50% of the people who go to court are not represented by counsel mm, when they're trying to, you know, get it there. Now, and, and just as a general point, if you really you read the state legislative debates on these things, and the word really must be like the most overused word in, uh, in the legislative debates on these things, but they say if you really believe that somebody's a danger to themselves or somebody else, you should consider involuntarily committing them. Mm-hmm. Because just because you go and you say, uh, you know, I'm worried the person's going to commit suicide, uh, it's not like guns are the only way that people go and commit suicide. Yeah. If, you, 
If you are worried about somebody going and doing some type of attack, you have to realize six months is a short amount of time for these people to go and plan these attacks. Uh A year, two years, longer for them doing these types of things. I give talks on college campuses, and, and one of the questions I sometimes ask, I said, let's say I give you a few days. What percentage of you think you could buy illegal drugs? Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm not saying this percent use them, but, you know, 80% of the students will raise their hands saying right. that they think they can get it. Drug dealers have guns. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like a drug dealer can go and go to the police and say, you know, this other gang stole my drugs. Right. Can you help us get them back? Right. They have to set up their own little armies to protect their extremely valuable property. Yes. And, and, uh, and so drug dealers are like the major source of illegal guns. So if you go and tell me that somehow you think you're going to be more successful in stopping criminals from, or people who are intent on doing bad things from getting guns and you've been successful in stopping them from buying opioids, or something like that, good luck. Mm-hmm. I mean, just one example to, to point to is look at Mexico. Since yeah. 1972, Mexico has had one gun store. That's amazing. It's run by the military. Guns yeah. are incredibly expensive. The most powerful rifle that you're allowed to legally buy since 1972 in Mexico is a 22 caliber short round. That's like the least powerful gun that's made in any real numbers. Yeah, and- uh, that can be... Be sold. And their gangs, and, <laughs> their gangs don't rely on that one, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, all the murders are done with yeah. that in Mexico. Yeah. In June, they had 3,000, over 3,000 murders. Yeah. In the first six months of this year, they had almost 18,000 murders. Mexico has a population less than 40% of what we have here in the United States. Their murder rate is like six times higher than the murder rate than we have in the United States. And yet, where do they get these guns? Yeah. They're, they bring them from around the world, or they even steal some from the Mexican military. Uh, but it's not like, it's like, if I could click my fingers and cause all guns in the United States to disappear instantly, and all illegal drugs, how long do you think it would be before illegal drugs started coming back yeah. in the United States? The next day. If you're in El Paso, yeah. 20 minutes? Yeah. And how long before they bring in the weapons to protect it? Exactly. Hey, Professor, I got a roll. Uh, where can people find you? Sure. Well, our website is at crimeresearch.org. Yeah. Crimeresearch.org. And you're an independent, obviously an independent. Or, I mean, I double, you know, want to make sure that you're, uh, you don't work for the NRA, blah, blah, blah. Uh, no, <laughs> we don't. The Crime Prevention Research Center, we're a group of academics. We have people from Harvard, University yeah. of Chicago, Wharton Business School, other places that do research on these areas. We do not take a dollar from... Any gun group or anybody yeah. involved in the gun debate, any company gotcha. making a gun or anything like that. Thank you. Thank you, Professor, and thanks for giving the time. And uh, I'll email you. So- I Hopefully I won't email you soon, uh, but uh, you take care. But it's nice that we're talking not right <laughs> the weekend after exactly. one of these attacks. Exactly. So I appreciate that. So me- anyway, thanks for having me on. You Sorry. got it. Take care. Take care. Bye.